It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's high time. We had a high time. Together. Together. Yes, it's high time. We had a high time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. I openly admit to being a cannabis snob, and I've never given much credence to smoking hemp flour. I mean, seriously, what's the point? In my mind, smoking hemp flour was for sad people that don't live in cannabis legal states and they have to. Alas, a random series of recent events challenged that mindset of mine. And now I'm in the middle of a personal wellness experiment that includes toking hemp. I mean, seriously, I have a hemp joint lit in my fingers right now. It all started upon receiving correspondence and then a care package from the team at Plain Jane, a female-owned CBD company based in Oregon. A few days after that was a call with my epigenetic coach, David Krantz, who fed me even more data about my personal endocannabinoid system. By the way, David will be back on the podcast next week, talking about version 2.0 of the genetic test he developed that's helping people understand their unique response to cannabinoids. I'm telling you, it is such cool shit. This week, I had to invite Lindsay Holthouse, co-founder and CEO of Plain Jane onto the podcast to rave about my first experience smoking hemp. It's nice to be wrong from time to time. It leaves the door open to be pleasantly surprised. And I'm telling you, we could all use a little more of that in our lives. Lindsay and I also dive into the business of smokable hemp and how she's able to provide high-quality flour at an affordable price for the daily toker. So spark up whatever you're into right now and settle in. It's time to get casually baked. 
Lindsay, I'm excited to have you on an episode of the podcast. Um, I've been needing to like dig into smoking hemp and your amazing staff found me. I didn't even have to go find you. So I have been doing a hemp smoking experiment over the weekend and I'm so excited to talk to you about it today. Oh, I can't wait to hear about it. Yes. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of all of that, I want you to tell me how you found your way into the hemp industry. I always find it curious to hear how people leave a corporate job and end up in cannabis or hemp. Oh, well, fortunately, I wasn't in a corporate job. I was in a, a public interest job. But I actually made the switch because I was solving a problem of my own, which was that I couldn't find any affordable CBD flower. I was buying it from a dispensary where, you know, I was paying the same price for THC, which was heavily regulated, so therefore more expensive, and CBD wasn't. And I was like, I'm not paying $60 for an eighth when I need this. And I felt like other people were probably in the same predicament as me. Yeah, because I think that's why I've never given much credence to it, because I'm like, uh, why am I going to spend that much money and I'm not even going to get high? but that's honestly that was the reason that I used it was because I had an autoimmune disease which was helped by smoking weed but I hated smoking weed and being high because like one out of every five times I'd get super paranoid and I was terrified every time I smoked that it was going to be that one time Mm -hmm. that I didn't even want to smoke even though it was actually helping me and helping my condition I was literally terrified every time I smoked and I was like this is so much better for me because I don't have to worry about being paranoid, but I'm still getting all of the health benefits that I wanted. That is a huge thing for a lot of people um, who've had a bad kind of first experience with cannabis, and then they're just constantly gun shy about trying it again. And so hemp is such a great baby step into the culture. And, you know, like I'd said, it had never really appealed to me as someone with access to cannabis. But on Friday, I had had an appointment with my epigenetic coach. His name is David Krantz. I've had him on the show a few times. And he developed a genomic endocannabinoid system test. And I'd taken this a couple of years ago, but it was still in its infancy. And so I just got kind of the broad brushstrokes of whether or not I had you know, more CB1 or CB2 receptors and that sort of thing. Um, But we were able to like really drill down into the nitty gritty of how my endocannabinoid system works via my genetics. And I learned that I really need to be supplementing more CBD than I actually do now. So over the weekend, I started smoking the plain Jane flower during the day and then just saving that THC experience for the evening. And I have to tell you, like I'd smelled hemp flower, you know, a few times being in a smoke shop whenever I was home in Texas or something. And, you know, they're selling smokable hemp flower. And I'm like, well, let me see what this is all about. And opening up these jars and seeing just really sad looking flower that smelled like shit, frankly. (laughs) 
I was like, oh my God, why would anyone do this? So I get a shipment of plain Jane in the mail and I open the bag and it's this beautifully manicured flower and it had a wonderful nose. I was so surprised whenever I opened it up. So kudos to you for doing such a great job. Um, where are your farmers based? Where where do y'all work from? So most of our farmers are based out of Southern Oregon. Um, and the reason that most of the hemp flowers smelled like shit is because for a while, I mean, there was just so much more money in cannabis that you'd have all these amazing growers. And they were like, why? First of all, why would I like switch to hemp flower? Like cannabis is my culture. And like, second of all, they're like, there's no real money in CBD and hemp flower. So nobody was really growing great hemp flower until the last couple of years. So really, the only thing that was on the market was kind of like the shitty, dry, outdoor flower. But now we're working with all of these farmers that are switching from cannabis or switching, you know, from wineries or other crops to hemp flower. And they're spending so much more time working on it and like learning the genetics and curing it and processing it and making it look so good and to smell so good that now you have this quality product that's like half the cost of THC. Yeah. So how were you able to, because, you know, when we first started the conversation, you're like, I need the CBD. I don't want to smoke <laughs> it at that cost. How how were you able to capitalize on finding farmers that are creating such quality product and being able to offer it at reasonable prices to people like me? There was a whole line of things that I did before I started this. Like I quit my job. I was working in healthcare policy. I was super stressed. It like it didn't help my condition. And I was like, I'm just going to quit and travel. And while I was traveling, that's when I met my other two co-founders, these guys that went to MIT and they were like, I want to do a startup. And I was like, well, I want to do a CBD company. This sounds like a great idea. And I had actually convinced them to start it. And this was like maybe a year after I quit my job. So it's not like I quit and jumped right into it. I quit and did a bunch of other things in the middle to make money, like delivery drive tacos to people. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, when they first started it, they didn't know how to get the hemp. And I was like, why don't you put a Craigslist ad out in Oregon and just see if you get any hits? And they did. They found a farmer. Basically, in Medford, Oregon, that's where, like, most of the cannabis is, most of the hemp flower. There's 4,000 farms there alone. Wow. So once you get there, everyone is connected. And we met one farmer, but we ended up finding, like, you know, 20 farmers within those first few months. So one Craigslist article they move out to Oregon, they buy an RV and live on this guy's farm. And six months later, we know like at least 25% of the farmers in Oregon or in Southern Oregon. That's so cool. It makes me laugh that at that point, what, it was 2018 or something? Feels a little late for Craigslist to be playing such a role, but way to go. <laughs> I mean, I just, I've always used Craigslist for everything, to find roommates, to find furniture, to find jobs. So I just figure if you just put it out there into the universe, uh, you'll you'll get a bite. But that the actual funny thing was that they paid for this RV in gold that they got from their Bitcoin and then lived in this RV on a farm with no hot water, no bathroom, just a porta potty. You had to like walk 20 minutes uphill to use the bathroom. And there were like three of us and we were like all college educated. We've lived in dorm rooms before, but never like in, in conditions like this. Yeah. So and especially with a degree from MIT, you're like, okay, wait a minute. How did I get here? 
I mean, Evan was working at a tech firm, like, you know, making tech money before that, just like, you know, going to work, sitting in beanbag chairs, doing whatever they want. And then he just ends up on this farm and we're working out of a horse barn and having no idea what we're doing. That was probably the more funny part than finding them on Craigslist was just how we were living the first six months when we were doing it. It sounds like a reality show waiting to happen. (laughs) I really, in the moment, I felt that way every time I went up there because I didn't join them until maybe two months later. I didn't have any money. And I didn't want to go without money because I felt like to contribute, I couldn't ask them to pay me because they weren't paying themselves. And when you start up, you don't have money to pay yourself. So I was like, okay, let me make some money real quick before I go out there. That way, like I can put my sweat equity into this the same way that they are. But then I went out there like two months later and it was just three of us in this crazy, bizarre situation in Southern Oregon, which is very strange for all of us. We were just like, this is the strangest place ever. (laughs) (laughs) Now, where did you um, move from? So I was born and raised in Baltimore. And my other co-founder, well, the first one, too, that's not with us anymore. He was also from Baltimore. And Evan is from San Francisco. Originally from Oregon, but not for very long, the Portland area. So we were all from big cities. And Medford is like a very small, ruralish town. So it was kind of like a culture shock for us. Oh, God, I can imagine. So tell me, what insights did you bring from your time working on healthcare policy for the Maryland state government? Were there things that you had learned that are now serving you in your new role as uh, CEO of Plain Jane? So when I was doing healthcare policy, I think the main thing that I learned that was so frustrating is just that our system is so broken and so many people are falling through the cracks with like healthcare needing medication, pharmaceuticals, you would hear from a lot of doctors that were basically saying, I can tell my patients what they need to do, but if they can't afford their medication, then there's nothing that I can really do for them to keep all of their situations at bay. Like, what, what am I supposed to do for my patients when they tell me they can't afford their medication and I have no other option for them? So for me, it was like really disheartening you know, just the way that the political process works, too. So there were two things that were disheartening. I mean, the reason our healthcare system is broken is because of our political process. So I found out, one, that our political process makes it really hard to get anything common sense done. And it takes a really, really long time and a lot of emotional energy and not being paid enough to use that emotional energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when, you know, if it ever does go through, it's usually broken. You know, like the Affordable Health Care Act was a Band-Aid on a much larger problem. So I learned a lot about how our healthcare system is broken and how people really need medication. And I was like, this is something that I'm using and I have healthcare and this is helping me. And it's a cheaper option for people that don't have to go through the healthcare system and buy these expensive pharmaceuticals. So I thought, why not? I mean, if I'm using it and it's cheaper for me and it's helping me, I think it can help so many other people. Absolutely. And you know, you talking about the ridiculousness of the political process and and actually the act of governing. There's so many states that they make rules about cannabis or hemp and then something crazy happens. So, you know, the most recent thing that came to mind when you were talking was that the Texas governor, uh, Greg Abbott, banned smokable hemp last week after Texas legalized hemp in 2019. And that where did that come from? What is going on? 
it's 100% racist. They don't like that they don't have a reason to pull people over now if they think something looks or smells like weed, which hemp does, hemp flower does. They don't like not being able to arrest people for something because somebody could say somebody could have weed and say it's hemp. Right. But like, why not just stop arresting people for weed in general instead of making hemp flour illegal so that you still have a reason to try to arrest people? Amen to that. I mean, I I can't think of any other reason that they would make smokable hemp flour illegal because I have never accidentally gotten high on hemp flour. I have accidentally gotten high twice on full spectrum CBD oil. Because if you take too much of that, I'm super sensitive to edibles, to weed edibles. Mm-hmm. So I just have a sensitive system. If I take too much full spectrum, and this happened recently to me, I was taking a sample of somebody else's and I was so high for like three hours. And that's never happened to me with hemp flour. Right. If they're worried about, if they're really worried about people getting high or, you know, their health, then it wouldn't be the hemp flour that they would be going after. So it's 100% just a reason for them to be able to arrest people. So before the week was over, there was a lawsuit filed. I think there were like four different plaintiffs on it. But yeah, it's completely ridiculous. And to me, it makes things even more confusing and complicated for a business like yours where you sell your 50 state legal and you sell your product online like how do you even keep up with it all? And how do you manage that as the business owner? So it makes it hard. So with Texas, it's retail. So the retailers in Texas can't sell it. And they can't sell it as a smokable product, but they could sell it as use this in your tea or use this for cooking. So there are a lot of ways around it. So if they were selling flour like ours, they would just write, this is for cooking on it. And that could bypass all the legislation. But for us, we're selling it online, but it's actually not legal in all 50 states. We can't sell to Idaho. And it's really hard for us. I I mean, they're passing laws in different states every day. It's really hard for us to try to keep up with what is going on in each state. And then once they pass it, it's like, do we take that seriously? Because we know there are going to be lawsuits that are going to overturn this. So like in the meantime, are the people that need it in that state not going to be able to get it because of this silly law? It definitely makes it hard for us you know, not just the states, but every other country too. We had to stop selling international because, you know, they would just change it and we'd have no idea or they would be intercepted by customs and then customers would be upset. So trying to keep up with all of it is truly like exhausting for us. Yeah. It sounds like probably the biggest headache you have. Yeah, it actually is. The law's it's it's fascinating that you said you can't sell to Idaho. A long time ago, I made the prediction that Idaho would be the very last state to legalize cannabis. So is that the only state where hemp is still not legal? So, yeah, but there are other states that are like, you know, Indiana is trying to ban smokable. So there are states like Texas and Indiana that are banning smokable, but not the rest of CBD, in which case you're just like, that's ridiculous. But Idaho is the one that's like, yeah, absolutely nothing, like none. We can't have anything here. So do you have any place on your website or maybe social media that kind of helps keep people informed of all this stuff? Because it is confusing. Yeah. So we do have a blog that we try to update. We don't update it every day, but we try to update it every couple of weeks. That has all the state regulations and some of the international, which are even more difficult to manage. So we try to just stick to the states. So that is on our blog page. And then we're pretty active 
Um, we're working with an, uh, another organization. So in all of our newsletters at the bottom, you can write to like your legislator telling them to make hemp, you know, up to 1% total THC legal. So there's like a whole nother legal problem, which is not just banning smokable, but the percentages of Delta 9 and THC that everybody is confused about and nobody really knows what's going on, what's legal, what's not. So both of those things we're trying to watch and educate people about constantly, including our legislators. I mean, we talk with our legislators a lot about, um, you know, what are the ramifications of this law or that law and how this is going to affect every single farmer and all the consumers. And I actually did see the petition about making hemp, you know, 1% less of THC. And I did sign Mm -hmm. that. Um, this morning. Yes. I'll make sure and include that in the show notes as well. Um, During my conversation last month with Bruce Perlowin, the founder of Hemp Inc., he was talking about how challenging it is for hemp farmers when the, the plant gets stressed, you know, from heat, it will be, it will start expressing the THC more. And so, you know, a lot of times the farmers can't control that THC number going above 0.3, and then they lose a whole crop. So I think that would be when someone's like, well, why would we do that? A lot of it for me is for the health of our farmers. Yeah, I mean, honestly, 99% of the crops right now have higher than, you know, 0.3% total THC. After you do a post-harvest test and you trim it, there are so many things that affect the percentage. Like, if you do a pre-harvest test for all of the farmers, it will be under that 0.3%. But if you do a post-harvest and you have it trimmed at the same time because you're taking the sugar leaves off that have a lower percentage, it's going to be higher. Most of the flour is between like 0.5 and 0.8%. And that's 99% of the farmers. And the farmers that are compliant, nobody will buy their flour because in order for them to get it under a certain percent, so they have to pull it early and it looks really bad. It looks really larfy. Nobody wants to buy that. They don't want something that's 9% CBD and looks really larfy and dry. Right. So it's really, really hard to find a good balance. But I think the most important thing is just educating the legislators about what this means. Which Switzerland did. Switzerland made their total THC 1% because there's no other way to do it where these farmers can stay in business and grow nice hemp flour without like just not being able to sell it. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of is, um, are the farmers in your network um, starting to add the CBG flower to your lineup? Yeah. So this year was the first year that a lot of farmers did CBG. I think with CBG, because there aren't a ton of studies on it and there's not enough education yet, there hasn't been the same demand from people for it. I think that they thought it was going to be like their cash crop, you know, like CBD back in 2018 or something. So everybody started adding CBG, but it didn't really sell as well as people thought that it would. We definitely buy it and sell it, but we don't notice the same demand that we notice for regular hemp flour. Yeah. And I will say that that's solely from a lack of consumer education. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, anybody that's in the industry or that has studied the plant um, understands the value of CBG. I mean, it's the parent cannabinoid. And so, you know, everything else comes from CBG. And the fact that CBG connects to both the CB1 and CB2 receptors 
it has a chance at helping with both that pain and inflammation situation, just like CBD and, you know, without having the psychoactivity. So when, you know, Bruce was on the show, he was absolutely singing the praises of CBG for his own pain management. And frankly, in my own edification and, you know, working on my own cannabis for wellness protocol, whenever I seek out CBG, it's just so damn expensive. So I was excited to see that there were more farmers jumping on board just to help make it a a more affordable option. Definitely. Yeah, we saw in the beginning of the harvest. So at the very first start of the harvest, they were trying to sell it at a premium. And by the end of the harvest, you know, it was basically almost the same price as CBD, which was really good to see because our consumers are very price sensitive. So I want to be able to provide them, you know, the best quality, but not in a price range that they just can't afford. So I was really happy to see the prices come down. Yeah. And let's talk about your brand for a minute, because I appreciate um, the way it looks. It's clean and simple. I mean, you know, playing on the words plain Jane and getting a pack of these. I mean, it is like anybody that had smoked cigarettes and was trying to make a transition. The packaging and the way you do things makes it feel very comfortable for that person. So tell me kind of what your thought process was as you were developing the brand. So the whole point of the brand was to just be plain and affordable. And to be affordable, I feel like you can't spend a ton of money on all of these designers and extra packaging. So we had to be really careful from the start with our resources. So that meant that, you know, Evan and I in the beginning, I mean, I've been doing all the packaging and design since day one so that we keep costs down. So to do that, I just felt like let's do something super plain and simple. Let's say on brand um, and let's make sure that we're not spending a ton of money in the process because you can spend a ton of money on packaging. I mean, there there is packaging out there that's like bright and crazy and like really extravagant, but super expensive. But we didn't want to be that. We wanted to, you know, walk the talk. So if we're saying we're this, you know, accessible plain brand, we wanted our packaging to display that. And I think that's one of the disservices that these cannabis brands now, especially in California, I can't really speak to other states as much, but they go after customers by romancing them with this over-the-top, you know, Apple-style packaging where you have an unboxing experience. And I'm like, people, give me a better rate, stop adding to the trash crisis, and just give me quality products. Yeah, I mean, for me, I hope my next company will be something in sustainability because that's so near and dear to my heart. And it, you know, it hurts me when I have to use plastic for anything, but there are times that you do have to use plastic. And I try my best to spend a little bit more and get like glass instead of plastic, even if it's going to hurt our profit, because I'm not going to charge other people more for that. So being not wasteful is like one of my number one priorities. And I try to also show that in our packaging. So most of it is either paper or glass. I mean, we actually had a sustainability person come out and look at our trash to make sure we weren't like throwing things away that we could be recycling. They were like, yeah, you're doing a You're doing a really great job. Like, I don't really see any changes that you guys could make. Good. That's important to do things like that. I mean, that's a small expense, you know, right now. But, you know, potentially 
saves you a lot of money in the future, you know, helps build a stronger reputation with um, your consumers. You know, I just think that highly responsible behavior, um, I expect that from the hemp and cannabis industry. You know, I expect us to be proponents for our planet. The one thing I will say from the beginning I didn't feel great about is that our hemp cigarettes didn't have biodegradable filters. So I've been working really hard on that. And now we're switching, you know, with all of our upcoming rounds, we're paying more for the biodegradable filters. But I'm just thinking, I'm like, all of these filters out there in the environment, I don't want to be like big tobacco. I want to do whatever I need to do to make sure that we're helping and not hurting the environment. And it's hard because when you are like a, we're a company that sells things, right? So anytime that you're selling to consumers, essentially there's going to be waste involved unless, you know, you just don't sell things and people aren't buying things. And then you go out of business. Yeah, then you (laughs) go out of business. So I think that you're like, there's a good balance to strike, I think, with being sustainable and still having a brand to sell. Absolutely. When I was going through the packaging process um, with MJ Relief, which is a muscle rub that I'll be launching sometime towards the end of the summer, it was this idea of, okay, we can have this done now if we get the tubes manufactured in China. Not doing that. So, mm-hmm. you know, so things get pushed off. And then I think a lot of times people do cut those corners because they're like, I need to get my product out now. Um, I'm hemorrhaging money. Let's just do this thing and then we'll fix it later. And because of the way I talk on my show, I can't do the thing that I have been preaching at other people not to do. So sometimes it doesn't make the best business sense, but, you know, it makes conscious sense. And so, you know, it's just one of those things that I want to highlight companies that are doing it the right way because I want more of that out in the world. Yeah, I mean, you never want to be a hypocrite. I will say, though, that there are a lot of companies out there that tout sustainability as far as packaging. They're like, oh, we're recycled plastic from the ocean. But it's like, yeah, but you're still plastic. And even though it's recycled, like it's still going to go back out into the ocean. And we do use some plastic. I can't say that we don't. But I'm not going to pretend that like I'm some like recycled ocean plastic material that is still plastic and is still going to go into the ocean. And I'd rather just find a truly sustainable source than tout that like we recycled this and turned it back into plastic. And these bits are going to go back into the ocean anyway. From just studying sustainability and what's available now and like why hemp plastics can't be an option now, just trying to figure out all the different moving parts. If you dig just below the surface, you find out that it costs a lot of money, uses a lot of energy and a lot of water to take these plastics, ocean plastics, and then turn them into something else. It's like, did we just do a good thing or, yeah, or did we just make it worse? Yeah, I think that we really need to think about that before we, like, slap a label on something and call it sustainable. I think we need to, like, think critically about if it's actually sustainable or not. What is, I mean, it's like getting rid of those plastic bags, which I'm glad that we're getting rid of plastic bags, but now they're just using the heavier plastic bags that they're saying you can have multiple uses for, but no one's using them multiple times. So it's actually worse for the environment than if we would have used the really thin ones. So I, I agree. Yeah, we're like not, we're not thinking 100%. We want it to be better than it is. Well, and right now with 
this whole COVID thing, you're not allowed to bring your own shopping bags back into the store. Like I'll bring mine up and they're like, no, we we can't use those. And I finally the other day was like, well, then I'll just sack my own groceries. You don't have to touch my shit. Just let me do this. (laughs) Well, good for you for walking. And also I, I wanted to say, so with sustainability, it's not just about, you know, plastic and things we're putting out into the environment. I think with hemp and cannabis in general, a lot of companies are seeing the money up front, like the dollar signs on it, and they're charging these incredibly high prices for a product that does not cost that much to grow. And they're like, well, I'm going to make all my money now because I can do this now, you know, while it's not as readily available, which is what they did, you know, the last two years. Because we buy some of the same flour that these other companies charge four times as much for. We all buy from the same farmers. They're all the same farmers out there. But they just charge these incredibly high prices to profit more money. And I'm just thinking, I mean, there's plenty of profit. You don't have to charge like 100x on these products. I mean, 4x would be fine for you to have a profit margin. But they're not thinking that way. They're thinking, I want to get this money now. And they're not thinking about the long-term sustainability of their brand. Which is like, yeah, there are people that are willing to pay, you know, $30 for an eighth of the same flour, but there's more people that will pay way less. There are more of those people that don't have enough money to pay that. And those are the people you should be worried about. Absolutely. And you want people to feel like they can make that good decision for themselves and buy product that has a certificate of analysis instead of buying something that's cheap that could be, you know, technically toxic to them. You know, you do want to give them that affordable option because I preach about cannabis like this isn't a recreational thing. This is a tool in your wellness arsenal and like it needs to be affordable. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, that's literally what we started on was just that people are price gouging because they can. And I don't think that you should price gouge just because you can. I think that you should always do the right thing when the right thing is available to you. Absolutely. So tell me, what are some of the most sought after products on the Plain Jane roster? So our one of our flower that we sell, I think it's like $9 for an eighth. That's our number one product. And I, I'm guessing it's because you're getting a, a quality product at like a way cheaper price than other companies will sell it. People love our ace packs, the little orange ones that have the mini joints, because sometimes you want to smoke a joint and you don't want to smoke the entire thing. It's nice to have something that you can like have half of the joint and you have six more for later. And then our low odor hemp cigarettes, that's our number one seller. Basically in the beginning, this was our first product. We took out the terpenes out of the hemp to make it not smell like weed because we want people to feel comfortable smoking it. And we know that there's still that stigma around weed and it's not it's not weed right so like people shouldn't feel like they're smoking weed and in some of these southern states like georgia or even texas sometimes you don't want to have to worry if you're going to get arrested for smoking something that is legal so we took out the terpenes we made it not smell like weed um, and we made it in the form factor that people are comfortable with which is a cigarette Got it. And that is absolutely something that I would totally not want because I do want mine, you know, I do want to taste that terpene profile. And yesterday evening, I met up with a friend at Lake Merritt and he pulls out a joint and 
I said, actually, I have something that I want us to smoke. I know this is going to sound crazy, but I have a hemp joint <laughs> I want us to smoke. And he's like, what? And I was like, I'm, I'm interviewing the CEO of this company tomorrow. I want you, a cannabis smoker, to have this experience. I want to know what your experience is. I have um, some sour space candy. It's 22% mm-hmm. CBD. I pulled out one of those pre-rolls and he smelled it and he's like, this smells like weed. And I was like, I know, right? And so he smokes it and he's like, if you were to pass me this at a party, I wouldn't have a clue that I wasn't smoking cannabis because the flavor profile is so spot on and it was really smooth. He's like, I feel something. He's like, you know, I feel good. And I'm like, I know, right? I have to tell you, I was totally impressed with the experience. And I like the idea that before I, you know, I typically I'll smoke cannabis and then I'm getting on a call and I have a little bit of that short term memory loss thing. And, you know, I have to worry about being able to articulate my thoughts or remember the person's name, you know, little things like that. (laughs) And so I'm just like, okay, this is great. So I am now, you know, experimenting with smoking hemp joints during the day so that I can function and still have my anxiety relief and overall wellness of being feeling. And um, and then waiting and smoking the heavy THC stuff at night. And not only is it helping me, you know, stay on point during the day, but it's also giving my endocannabinoid system a bit of a reboot um, in the process. So it's all good. Yeah, I, I love that. And a lot of our customers, if they want to take a tolerance break, I do this with coffee sometimes, but I don't really have the substitute. And they smoke CBD for like a week or two instead, or they add it to their THC and it makes their THC last longer. Sometimes it brings down the paranoia a little bit. We have some people that have, a, they have like their own ratio. They're like, I use one THC to two CBD to one CBG and that works perfect for me. And I just love the experimentation and all of the different ways that people can use it. Yeah. I feel like an asshole for being so like, <laughs> don't put your hemp flower in my face. Um, you've, you've totally changed my opinion on it. So thank you for that. I appreciate what you're doing. You're welcome. I'm glad. Well, so tell me, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you might want the podcast listeners to know? Maybe a shameless plug. Um, do I have a shameless plug? I don't just head over to our website and check it out. Um, tryplainjane.com, T-R-Y, not T-R-I. Our Instagram is at TryPlainJane, and, and the products speak for themselves. Yeah, I, I can vouch for that. I've tried <laughs> the Wife Reserve uh, flower. Um, yeah, um, and it's we grew that in our own greenhouse. Very nice. Do you have, like, special offers that you give people or email lists that people can subscribe to to get coupons, or how does all that work? Well, definitely, if you go to our website and you sign up, you'll get a discount code. If you want your listeners, if you want your own code to give your listeners like 15% off, we can make a code for you too. Um, Well, absolutely. Let's give the Casually Baked tribe a code. Yeah, let's do Do you want to just do Casually Baked as your code? Yeah, Casually Baked, all one word. Okay, we'll make that your code and your subscribers, your listeners will get 15% off. Right on. That's awesome. Well, Lindsay, I really appreciate your time today. And like I said, I love what you're doing. It's fulfilling a a very important niche. The shopping experience is great. You know, it looks good. It looks clean. It smells great. I mean, 
five stars. Thank you. Thanks. And thanks for having me. You seem like you're doing a great job, too. I think I learned some from you. I was like, wow, I didn't even know. I had to Google that. Who the first person was that you were talking about? I don't even know the word. Oh, an epigenetic coach. I've never heard of that. That's so incredible. Well, I'm one of those weirdos. If I have a roadmap, I can follow it. And, you know, I had a lot of dementia and Alzheimer's in my family. And David was a listener to my show and he just emailed me one day and he was like, hey, I do something that I think you'd be really interested in. And so I did this genetic testing with him where I was able to do a panel for uh, my sleep, food, exercise, my endocannabinoid system, all these different aspects of my life so that I know if I need to shift the expression of those genes, I now am empowered to do that. So I have all of the genes for inflammation. And that doesn't... Right. So in order for me to be able to counter that, I'd need to introduce way more CBD into my diet every day. So little things like that are able to empower us to just be in control of our health and well-being in a natural way without constantly having to call a doctor and be on pharmaceutical drugs. Yeah, that's incredible. I, I learned so much there. So thank you for that. Yeah, certainly. I'll um, have David on an upcoming episode of the podcast. So you'll have to make sure and tune in. You'll learn even yeah, I more. I, I can't wait. I'm definitely going to listen to that one. All right, Lindsay. Well, I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Take care. I once would have said having no flour is better than smoking hemp flour. But I can't say that anymore. There's quality shit out there now, people. And it can be shipped to your door. Unless you live in Idaho. And in your case, run! Get out! (laughs) Seriously, though, smokable hemp will never replace smoking cannabis for me. But it certainly earned a new place in my wellness toolkit. And I feel sharper already. To say I was pleasantly surprised with the quality of Plain Jane's hemp flour is an understatement. I was shocked. I'd never seen hemp flour like this before. Granted, I haven't been looking. But I know that so many of you are because you ask me about it. And now I am confident sending you to tryplainjane.com for quality smokable hemp flour. Use promo code CASUALLYBAKED, all one word, for 15% off your Plain Jane purchase. Head over to the Podcast 146 show notes at casuallybaked.com to see which Plain Jane products I'm trying out during my wellness experiment. I'll also include links to previous pods with David Krantz to get you geared up for next week's chat on the Canna DNA test. You got your face fixed up nice with all those little, little colored lights. You got the records that spin around and round. I'm gonna spin, spin, spin till we get all If you learned something new on this podcast, please share your experience with me through the website at casuallybaked.com or in a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or DM me on social. I'm at Casually Baked on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. 
And last, but certainly not least, I hope you'll share this podcast episode with everyone you know who doesn't want to get high, but truly needs to take it down a notch. What are you waiting for? Puff, puff, pass it on. Casually Baked the Podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.